Hey, it's the True Podcast without Gerard Hector. David Thorpe, are you ready for this? Is that Henry? Yeah, Henry, I know. I know. We've, we've I, done a few I'm of these sick. in our lives. We've done hundreds of these in our lives. Um, I'm sick. I'm going to cough through the podcast, which is just going to be terrible and disgusting. But Gerard has to get to the Caribbean, right? That's what's most important here is that Gerard gets some sun, some beach while we're cowering indoors. Um, Brittany Brown is producing. Hi, Brittany. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let's get into it. You, we just got a question from a man named Michael, which is just, you're born for this. Um, Dear Coach Thorpe, as a Raptors fan, I'm obviously very excited about the addition of Emmanuel Quickly. In a recent postgame presser, he told an anecdote about Coach Darko, which Darko pulled him aside during a game and told him, you're not having fun, have fun. IQ then started skipping around the court and ended the game, which Raptors on with 26 points, going 5 of 8 from 3, 3 rebounds, and 5 assists. This isn't the first time Darko has played this card. When he told backup point guard Malachi Flynn to smile more and enjoy the game, even though that advice arguably helped Flynn play the best basketball of his career, before he got shipped to the Knicks, a lot of fans rolled their eyes because we were losing constantly. Getting players to smile and have fun seemed insignificant, so my question is this. What do you make of this as a coaching strategy, and how much weight does having fun carry for players when their teams are always losing. Thanks and keep up the great work, Michael. That's like such, wow. that is like a setup for Coach Thorpe. He's been training his mind for 50 years to answer that question. Like, let's go. Well, it actually, it hits close to home. Um, two years ago this month, we lost my dad. And uh, that's what he used to always say to my son before every game, every baseball game, every basketball game. We're talking about hundreds of games that he was able to see Max play. <laughs> And um, whenever we could, which was commonly, Max would go over to say hello to him before the game started. And my dad would always say, have fun, which, of course, he never once said that to any of his three boys ever <laughs> growing up. It and, skips um, a generation. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. I did love that. Uh, he, he asked if it's a, if it's a, if a strategy. It's, it's common for some coaches. Uh, it's definitely uh, not you know, something you rarely hear. I, I find it interesting that Darko is saying it. I actually remember when he did it with Malachi uh, Flynn because Darko does not look like he's having fun at all. And it's also a little bit ironic in the sense that um, if you think of Serbian coaches, they tend to be really, really tough. I don't find him that way at all. I don't think he has that, you know, that gruff um, personality. I don't, he doesn't remind me of that at all. Um, and the NBA also doesn't really allow for that unless you already have a ton of gravitas, which he doesn't. He's a first-year coach. But I do think it's good. I think it's smart. Uh, anything you can do, to, and this is obviously what I do for a living too, to, to help relax. You, you Listen, let, let's start from the baseline. We're trying to get players to play as best as they're capable of playing as often as possible, right? And so how do you do that? Well, you know, ask a golfer how his golf swing looks when he's tight. It's going to be slice city. Ask a tennis player, how do they serve when they're tight? It's going to be a lot of double faults and so forth. Uh, you have to find that balance of being on edge, but also being relaxed while you're doing it. It's super hard. It's why there's not a lot of pro athletes in any sport. But I do think that have fun, especially if you define it uh, as uh, enjoying the, the competitive aspect of it, enjoying uh, not being afraid of failure is a big part of that. Whether you whether you say it openly or not, so yeah, I think it's good, and I think sometimes more coaches 
well, I would argue all coaches should be doing it sometimes, whether they say it or they just promote it with their personality and their, and their behavior. Yeah, I think it's smart. And I mean, look at Toronto hadn't won two games in a row in like over a month and they've got two in a row quickly is a beautiful fit, which we're going to talk about later to this team. In my opinion, it was a good trade to get him. And, um, uh, quickly also is not always going to be able to have fun. It's a hard game, but it's a good to, to, to remind yourself that you can't be tight when you play. You have to, you can't just have fun. You have to relax and just trust yourself. That's why you train so much, right? It's why you work. It's why you shoot all those free throws and take all those threes to trust it when it matters most. And so, yeah, yeah, it's, it's good that Darko did that. When like, I'm thinking a little bit about stuff from outside basketball, but somewhere over my bookshelf over here, there's a book about, um, like this business research where they had a bunch of actors join these like groups of four um, at some business symposium. They had like grad students trying to make the best like groups of four effective. They didn't know that they were part of an experiment and that someone in everybody's group was an actor who was instructed just to be a bummer, just to say that probably won't work and to be kind of a downer, right? Just to be Eeyore. And it has a massive depressive effect on the group's uh, effectiveness, right? Like, just having someone be a bummer. Like OG was a bummer, right? Like he didn't really want to be a Raptor, right? And like I'm stealing somewhat from David's forthcoming Raptors article, which will be on Troop shortly. Um, but like if you take out that bummer person and put in someone like Emmanuel Quickly who literally skips and looks happy, like, like the suggestion is that that would make the group a lot more effective, right? And on top of that, there's a dude named Richard Boyatzis who has this book. Um, one of his books is called Resonant Leadership and one's called Primal Leadership. But they're based on like pretty intense Harvard research on like, I don't know, like business. And uh, his thing is after all of you check all the competence boxes, I'm paraphrasing this terribly, but like you have to be good. You have to be good at what you do. You have to do all that stuff. You have to be able to shoot and all the stuff David said, free throws, all that stuff. But after that, the way you get that last little layer of perfection in your performance is to be playful, that's his word. You have to be a little playful, right? Like if you're going to be like the, the CEO of a top company, you can't go into the front of the room and just be droning on with boring crap. You have to be a little, mm, a little, have a little spice, right? Like that's what Darko's talking about, right? He wants you to, he wants Emmanuel to explore a little bit at the edge of his abilities and do a little more and try a little stuff and feel a little fearless and live in the now, right? I think that's a, uh, I think we all kind of get that that's a little more mm, likely to succeed than stressing. Yeah, it's more conducive to relaxing and, and playing your game. It's probably even doubly effective when you're coming from a Tom Thibodeau organization. You Hell know, I, yeah. I don't see Tom doing that, <laughs> knowing, knowing Coach Thibodeau, um, his style. I'm not friendly with them. Yeah, that would work. And um, listen, it's, it, the game is already so full of uh, so many hard hardships. It's just such a... It's just a hard game to succeed at more than, you know, a minute at a time. The best players in the world are just incredible for that reason. They keep finding ways to be successful. Uh, taking yourself too seriously is a challenge. And, you know, on this show, I've said this a lot. Human nature, we really struggle as a species dealing with success for lots of reasons. Our egos get real big. We get casual about details. We think it's going to be easy. We might get selfish. Uh, as a team that I follow in college basketball, Florida Atlantic, FAU, uh, to your exact point, Henry, uh, they were a, you know, a lower level seed. Their team has never been, you don't even have heard of FAU really. 
and they made the Final Four last year and lost in the last seconds to, to compete for the national championship in the, in the national semis, uh, I think against San Diego State. And uh, they're not doing as well this year. They're still good. They beat Arizona number one in the country last week. But they've also had two of the most shocking losses you'd ever could imagine them having. And I went to practice there. Uh, they aren't playful. No, no, no. They're all thinking they can make the NBA now. They've got a couple NBA prospects, maybe even three, not seven, but I promise you seven dudes on that team because they made the Final Four last year now think that they have NBA chances and or people are telling them you're going to be in the NBA. And so their play, that playfulness is hard to grab. It's like a ghost. It is. It's, it's why we don't see repeat anything too often. Um, it's, uh, I, I agree with you. It's supposed to be uh, it's easier to compete your ass off when you're enjoying what you're doing. And uh, mm-hmm. it'd be better if the coach promotes happiness and having fun and not just says it. I'm not saying Tarko. I have no idea if Tarko promotes it or not. Um, it's a start to say have fun. And now you want to promote it. You know, don't don't promote it by saying have fun and then yank him the first time he turns the ball over and shoots an air ball. I see that all the time. All the time. Hello, Jason Kidd. Um, there's, there's a, there's a way to do it where you can be seen as, as, as a, a real leader, um, and, uh, in charge of a team, but also not a dictator and not, uh, in some cases, even sadistic and that you almost find joy in how a player fails. I've seen that before too, more than a few times. And, uh, but yeah, it's a slippery thing to grab old to. And, and as humans were, we pivot quickly and, and, uh, and, Things change all the time. Uh, Toronto was just lost to Detroit. What else do you have to say about that? And now they've won two straight. What's some? And they're nice wins. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's hard to. Be and consistent. they're building around Scotty Barnes. Like, like not everybody's motivated the same way, but that dude likes fun. Like he's the smiliest dude For when sure. he's at his best. He's the smiliest right. dude in the league. Like he he smiles a yeah. lot less now than he ever did, but he definitely plays with joy. He competes with real joy. Yeah. Uh, he's a very competitive player. You know me; I'm a huge fan of his. Um, the Monty Williams could use here. He could stand to listen to this. I think part of Detroit's problem is they all feel the weight of of everything on their shoulders. They still they haven't won since they beat Toronto, and I I almost feel like Masai traded OG on that day to deflect from potentially losing to the Pistons. Uh, no one even cared about it because you did the trade. Um, but yeah, Detroit's That's so still dark. Hard. Like just like let's trade. Oh gee, so yeah. I don't look stupid for losing the Pistons. What are they? One in thirty, Detroit. Um, so they could, they could, they could stand to use more, have more fun. That's for sure. Doesn't sound very fun. Yeah. Um, who's the? I was trying to, I was trying to pull a random example of like, okay, so Scotty Barnes definitely is conducive to a joyous teammate. Like, who's the opposite? Who's the crabby old man who like doesn't want Emmanuel quickly skipping? Like, I have a name in my head. Who, who do you think is the crabbiest old man player in the NBA? <sighs> I'd, I'd like to hear yours. Uh, LeBron has had moments where he didn't. That's what it. I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he sometimes does have a lot of fun and I love it. But, but, you know, yeah, he also on his terms, right? It's not. No. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He, yeah. he might go months. You guys, showing it's seven o'clock. It's fun time. Everyone have fun now. We're going to have fun till 7.05. Like, it's not like <laughs> shit's just popping all over. That is not the LeBron vibe, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Not too spontaneous with that typically. Yeah. AD is also someone that. He's pretty dour when he plays. Yeah. He is. Um, and that, yeah. that's for yeah. some players, that's fine. Uh, you know, self-driven guys, made men, like AD's a made man. There's not, there's still tons of pressure on him all the time, but he's still going to be in the Hall of Fame. He's incredible, incredible player. 
quickly doesn't yeah. have that luxury. He's still, you know, he's still got to earn his money. He doesn't have a new deal yet. He's going to get one, I think, but he's got to play well. So it, it's good yeah. for him to not feel like the weight of the world's on his shoulders. Go have fun. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so actually, let's just, let's quickly, let's just delve a little bit into the Raptors and Knicks trade while we're here already. Um, you, you really like how quickly works in Toronto? Like, why? What do you like about that? Yeah, so the, the, the myth about Toronto is that in the previous versions under Nick Nurse, everyone thought of them as this terrifying transition team. That part isn't the myth. They, they always have been among the top few teams in terms of fast break points. But after that, they couldn't get a shot in the first five seconds in transition. They were slow. They're, I thought they had a, they ended up having a really basic offense where uh, uh, we call it false motion. It's not really false motion in that it's not three, four, or five passes, and then you get into your actions. It's more dribble, 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 handoff, dribble, handoff, dribble, handoff. Try to get the kind of match you want, matchup you want with switches and what have you, and then you attack with seven seconds on the clock, whatever. Uh, that's really what I thought that the, the offense evolved into. Uh, and yet they have a bunch of guys that can really run. Um, Pirtle is a good big man who runs, not amazing, but he's definitely a fluid athlete. He may not jump great, but he moves well. I think Siakam is the best runner in the league at size. Not that he's the fastest, but he just always seems to make that effort. Scotty Barnes can really run. Um, RJ Barrett's good in transition, not good in the half court. And so, uh, I think Schroeder wants to over dribble too often. Dennis Schroeder, their, their previous point guard who had just been demoted prior to the trade. Uh, and now they got quickly who is, who's aptly named quickly is a very good descriptive term for how he plays. He moves quickly. He, he races quickly. He defends quickly. He moves off the ball quickly. And so I think he gets them moving more. I had, a, I had an agent text me during the game last night. Agent text me during the game last night against uh, Memphis. And the Raptors were just blowing their doors out in the first half. And the agent wrote, like, like Memphis doesn't know what hit them. This is dizzying. I didn't necessarily agree that Memphis hadn't seen fast before. Indiana plays that way. But, um, but it was similar. It definitely was. And I think it fits what they have very, very well. So, um, uh, and also he can really shoot and he doesn't seem to be thirsty with the ball the way I think Dennis is sometimes he, he's happy to get the ball to the right people. Uh, there was a play, uh, and I think, and I think that's also, um, uh, a little bit contagious that, uh, if Dennis Schroeder has the ball, even if you have a better matchup, there's no guarantee he'll throw it because in his mind, oh, I'm the better option here. Uh, I don't think quickly thinks that way. And RJ Barrett, who wants to be, you know, kind of dribble-centric, ball-centric. Uh, late in the game last night, I don't remember exactly when, fourth quarter, I believe it was, RJ had the ball, Siakam asked for it, which he almost never does that I've seen. And then he ran like a pick and roll with quickly and they scored. And that was, I had a, I had a Raptors insider text me, we don't see that very often. Both Siakam asking for the ball and then someone giving it to him. That was new. So I think quickly, uh, being that, that shooter that doesn't need to dribble a bunch, really matches up, complements uh, Siakam and Barnes very, very well. Because they have a, they were going to have this team with like 500 wings, right? This was the, they were building this like super team of long, skilled dudes and slowly kind of some of them have left, some of them have traded away. And now we're down to really like Scotty and Pascal 
are those big, long athletes. And if you want to have those guys be activated threats all the time, you can't have Dennis over there who needs to dribble a thousand times to attack, right? You, it's much better to have um, someone who can be quick, quick with the ball, right? Like, so you have to go, you have to keep an eye. The defense has to keep an eye on quickly while Scotty and Pascal are operating, right? The whole time, which is he's a great shooter yeah. or he quick attack. Like he can, he can be right. activated without needing to dribble a whole bunch. And it's fair to say that uh, RJ Barrett's probably happy to be in Toronto because it was not going well in New York. They were five points per 100 positions worse when he was on the court this year. They were 10 points per 100 positions worse when he was on the court last year. Those are alarmingly bad numbers. So bad. Yeah. And and he, he's from Toronto. I've never met a player that felt like I really want to be home. I, I, it doesn't mean they don't exist. Kawhi went home in, uh, sensibly to Southern California, but I've never met one in, you know, that I've worked with anyway that have told me that for lots of reasons. Not to say they didn't want to go, but they haven't felt like, oh, I need to go. So I don't know that RJ is glad to be in Toronto. I think he might be glad to be out of New York. It wasn't going well. Mm -hmm. And then quickly, it's got to be thrilled. New York wasn't going to pay him. They got Brunson that plays that position. Uh, I think Toronto's going to pay quickly. And he was a sixth man last year, mostly, and this year. And now I think for, he's already been starting, and now I think he'll continue to be. I think he'll be he'll continue to be a starter. So you had OG Ananobi who did not want to be there. That I never heard this personally, but it's been reported enough. I mean, you've even seen video of him like whispering to Tyrese Halliburton, like basically get me out of here kind of thing. This was a year ago. Uh, people who I know know OG uh, from Indiana and, uh, and Toronto have told me that he's not happy. He just got traded and wasn't looking to stay in Toronto as a free agent. Uh, I think he's got a player option. And so they got rid of a guy that didn't want to be there. And they brought two guys in that one of them probably is thrilled to be there. And the other's just happy not to be in New York. Okay. That's a, that's addition by subtraction to some degree, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now you made this cool point that um, if the, so the Nick, you know, OG is going to be, or could be a free agent and conceivably could have en ended up with the Knicks that way but they traded yeah. for him to keep him away from philly this is an interesting idea yeah it's i'm not the first one to think it uh i've heard about this for a while um that philly is has slot for somebody and og if, if you think about the best fit that three and d wing and he is an elite three and d wing when he's playing well um is something you know when you got a, a conference of jason tatum jimmy butler Giannis. Uh, in that league, not to mention some others, that's a that's a pretty good fit. And so, yeah, New York grabs him now. It doesn't mean he's not a free agent, but the guess is, even if even if president and and player agent weren't father son, you would you would guess at least I would guess that there's already been a discussion. This is the power the agents have when their player doesn't get extended and could have been extended. Is basically mm -hmm. you could ixnay any trade deal by telling the team who's going to check with you, hey, are we going to be able to keep you? Because otherwise, the Knicks just traded R.J. Barrett and quickly for, and I think also Detroit's second-round pick this year, which could be like 31, or 31 or 32. Mm -hmm. It's almost it's a like pick. a first-round yeah. pick, basically. Yeah, there's some good players trapped in, in that. In some ways, it's better because it has more salary flexibility. Right, for sure it does, yeah. Um, yeah. And so you just traded him to, get to, to, to not keep OG afterwards? It seems far-fetched to think they don't have already a deal in place. Now, that doesn't mean they've negotiated 
at the exact number, but it's close enough where OG is going to be a, a Nick next year and not a Sixer. And so, yeah, they, they, the Knicks were smart in, in making that move early. So who do the Sixers get? I mean, they've been, they've got, they've, they kind of lost James Harden and all the effort they put into targeting this summer and free agency. Like who's a, who, who can they get? I, I, people have been saying, uh, coincidentally, Pascal Siakam is a name. I, I don't see the fit there as well as others do, other than the fact, like, I think Siakam's shooting great right now. We talk about this in the article. He's having incredible, like, five weeks. He was really pathetic as a three-point shooter to start the season. He'll probably end up where he normally is, around 35%, which is fine. But he's an elite paint scorer, and the Raptors' offense now which is much more, he called, they call it the old Popovich .5. You know, quicker passes. I don't really think there's a lot of .5s going on. But there's definitely... .5 meaning let, hold the ball for less than half a second is what that means. Yeah, dribble, pass, shoot yeah. for less than half a second. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. Uh, they are second. I looked this up. They're second in the league in passes made. And because mm-hmm. of that, Siakam has just improved at finding ways to get in the paint, whether it's by dribble, by cutting, by sealing or posting. He's destroying the league in the paint along with like MB, Jokic, and Giannis. Like he's in that realm. And so ideally you want to partner him with a, a five that stretches the floor and drags the other team's center out. He's he's doing all this now with Pirtle in the game. Jakob Pirtle's range is 11 inches. So uh, it's not fair to say. <laughs> Seven, eight feet. He's a very good little push shooter at the edge of what I call the first, second box. He's good at that. and But still, his big man parks himself in front of the rim all the time. And yes, Siakam is still super effective. Boy, put him with a Chet Holmgren, and, and I think it's amazing. However, Embiid's a really good shooter, unfairly. It's not fair that he's such a good shooter. He's good at everything right now. And so I just think it plays into Embiid's predilection to be more of a three-point shooter, when in reality he's just such an amazing paint player. So I don't love that fit, but that doesn't mean Daryl Morey doesn't. And you know, Morey wants to collect all-stars. And then figure it out. And, and to Siakam's credit, he knows how to be the number two. He was for Kawhi and won a championship. He averages five assists a game and, and is happy to pass the ball if you follow his career. And you know I know him. He isn't a selfish guy. Just the opposite. He loves to pass the ball. And, um, and so, yeah, it makes some sense. But uh, there'll be – I'm sure Daryl has a plan uh, of who to go after. Meanwhile, they're really good anyway because Maxi is – borderline all NBA himself. He's a young player that's super talented. So I think the, the guess is that they don't do a deal this year, which there's no guarantee they will. Um, they'll see how the offseason goes. If I'm Joel Embiid, I got to feel pretty heartened by how the team is doing. Tobias Harris comes off the books. I believe I'm right to say that. Uh, they've got D- – Daryl's, I think, he's the best talent accumulator in the game, although Sam Pretzi has given him a hell of a run. And um, – I, he'll he'll have a good plan, and and Joel should feel pretty good that you know what we've we've righted the ship because it looked pretty dark at the end of last year, but they're looking pretty good right now. They're looking very good right now. They're it's not, they've been waiting a long time to get rid of Tobias's massive salary, but Tobias is good. Like someone still He's has good. to play that role. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, he could play that role. They'll just pay him less money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's um, there's no reason to think that he has to leave. You know, mm-hmm. it isn't necessarily the case that someone's going to overpay him again. Uh, he, he's a good player, for sure. I, I'm a big fan of Tobias Harris. Always have been. And it's what's such amazing an awkward is, conversation, though. 
Like, He's twice, we love you. You're yeah, the best. You're so great. We just need you to make a third of what you make right now. Well, listen, you can let market forces dictate. If someone wants to overpay him, he's going to leave. He's made a lot of yeah. money in his career. It, it, it's amazing. He's played a lot of years. He was the youngest guy. I almost want to feel like he wasn't even 18 when he first put his name in the draft. So maybe 18 when he got drafted. So he's, he's been playing this game a long, long time. But, yeah, he's a very fundamental player. And um, yeah, if they win the championship, it make a, he makes a hell of an argument, and they could, like they're good enough with uh, with the way Joel is playing, just like Jokic last year. You know, he carried that team, uh, and I think Maxi might be better than Jamal Murray was last year as mm-hmm. a second best player. Okay, we're gonna take a little break. We'll be right back. This episode of True Hoop is brought to you by BetterHelp. Hey guys, Gerard from True Hoop here. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do? It's a hell of a question. Would you maybe go for a run, take a nap, read a book, maybe show up for a friend? Now, depending on the day, any one of those would be a great idea. Most of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Now, I've been open in the past with you guys about this. I see a personal therapist as well as a couple therapist for my partner and I, and both are extremely helpful in developing positive coping skills and learning how to set boundaries. Therapy empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TrueHoop today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TrueHoop. Okay, David, so if I'm right, then the ads everyone just heard did not include sports gambling ads. Because it's a little bit on the down low, but for several months here, after you and Drod and I talked about it for a while, we decided not to have them. Um, I guess maybe each for our own reasons. But um, well, what are your reasons? Well, first of all, you're the founder of the company, and it was your idea. And I, I'm not a, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna stand kind of up and fight yeah. you, if I, <laughs> and and you and I have had some pretty good arguments in our we our have, long yeah. lives mm-hmm. together now. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly not going to fight over this hill. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, listen, I've never said this to you before, but I know firsthand um, about teenage gambling. Uh, I, I, when I first started my basketball academy in 1993, long before Brittany was born, I'm sure, um, <laughs> I had some really <laughs> talented players. No, Brittany? Yeah. I was around. I'm I had some really, <laughs> I, I had some really talented players, Henry who were not doing well in their season and the team wasn't doing well. They were playing fine. They were high school kids, 15, 16 years old. And so as I first started working with them on a court right next to where I live now, actually, um, at this point I was 28 years old. I said, like, what is your, I mean, I was just finishing coaching myself and I'd say to them, uh, I, what are you guys doing pregame? I knew what we did pregame. We were very serious when I was high school coach. And he's, and my kid, his name now is a very successful businessman, a great, great player back then. He said, Coach, we just pulled out the St. Pete Times uh, uh, sports section and we all just bet on games. Like, and I just was so alarmed at these, at these kids. They all didn't have money. 
Uh, and then, of course, you can't help go to a game now and just hear what the fans are really rooting for. 80%, 70%, whatever is rooting for the team to win for probably healthy reasons. A bunch of others have a million different gambling things on the side and fantasy, whatever. Uh, and of course, as you know, I have a dear friend who's, he said his family, his parents got divorced and his family was dead broke most of his life in part because his dad lost all their money gambling and was, uh, was his parents didn't divorce. They just separated to two different homes, very small, small homes. And they sold dinners together every night to keep that part of the family together. But uh, they never were a couple again because, and so my friend to this day will never gamble, never play cards, even nothing, nothing because of what Camley did to him. So it's a very destructive habit that probably requires real discipline and, and teaching to learn how to deal with. And we're not, we're not getting that as, as in the average American household, you know? Yeah. I, um, that seems like predictable, right? I think everywhere they study gambling all over the world, like some people can gamble fine. You know, yeah. some people can drink a little bit of alcohol, right? Like, but right. some people can't, right? And there's some number, you know, these, all of these ads that we're not carrying do reach people and they do convince people to gamble who weren't otherwise going to gamble, right? In some, in some number. And there's a, I'll link it um, when in the post with the podcast, but um, there was a little article from Ben Krause on Matt Iglesias um, substack called slow boring. And it's basically that we're first seeing the first real numbers of this now that sports gambling is legal in the U S where basically the number of the signs of gambling addiction are up in the U S right. And they're particularly up where gambling is legalized. There's an interesting little note, which is um, people are more likely to become addicted to gambling where they have easy access to the gambling. If this makes sense. So it used to be, if you were actually physically near the casino, you're more likely to become a problem gambler, right? Well, now I think it's 80 or 90% of the gambling is on the phone, which means everybody's close to the place where you could lose your house, yeah. if that makes sense, right? Like, um, and it's particularly true among uh, younger gamblers. So yeah, there's a, there's a, to be honest, for me, when we first had this conversation, though, it wasn't, I mean, I knew that that was baked in and that's a problem that bothers me. Um, not that I think gambling is inherently bad. I was actually like, my grandfather was huge on it. I mean, he was huge on like gambling where the money stayed in the house kind of thing. He would gamble with his friends or with us. He taught us big time. Like when I was 10, 11, 12, it was like, he was embarrassed. We didn't know poker and he, you know, we would visit and he would make us stay up late and like, and, and pick out our good gambling strategy or whatever. Like I, the little games of chance with a little bit of money, like doesn't bother me in the slightest. It's more just like this big organization, right? It's like the, it's like the scene, um, this is when they imagine um, in Back to the Future, when the future goes really awry. Remember this? Yeah. When Biff takes over the yeah, world. It's casinos, right? That's that's what it is, right? It's people getting tossed out of the casino. Um, that harsh world worries me. Um, and now I'm going to take it in a really weird direction, which is the Wall Street Journal a couple of days ago had their daily podcast was about um, a, a guy who was the COO, I want to say, of Wirecard. And um, Wirecard was a big darling of the stock market. It was like uh, the PayPal of Europe, basically. Um, it was a bank. It was a money transfer thing. It was a big, fast-growing company. And believe it or not, now the guy who was the COO, according to this podcast, and I'm sure there's an article that I didn't read, um, like that guy is now not just acknowledged as like a Russian intelligence agent, but he's the kind of Russian intelligence who's allegedly running a group of Bulgarian kidnappers who operate in London. He's like their handler. Like this is like 
a lifetime intelligence. So what, while he was working at Wirecard, he was probably the whole time in that job because he had, it wasn't his real job, right? His real job was Russian intelligence agent, which sounds absolutely crackers and bananas. And it is, but at the same time, like, you know, this little legalized gambling part of the world is heavy with people with creepy connections like this, right? Um, there's a guy, um, we had on this show, uh, the woman who wrote Putin's people. Yeah. Remember that David? Yep. Um, of course she's like a genius. She's like one of the best, she's amazing. uh, yeah. Journalists of all time. And I'd say her name right now, except I'm too stupid to remember it. I'm looking at the bookshelf to see if I can remember it, but it'll come to me in a second. Um, it's not Maria, is it? No, it's not Maria Konnikova. It's right over there, but she I just can't read too. it. It's too far away. Okay. Right. This is embarrassing, uh, but Putin's people author will come to me in a second. She's like the greatest. Um, she says in there and in her other work that basically like a large number of people have been like pushed into Western business, like with money that's really from like Putin's circles of a of yeah. former KGB, right? And they're there for like not legit business reasons, right? One of the tippity top people in that group is this guy who started a Digital Sky Technologies, which is Yuri Milner. It's like he's the biggest outside investor in Silicon Valley. He's invested in Facebook and Twitter and a million things, right? And he's like, now the trail's pretty clear that he's tied to all these shady people around Putin, right? Um, and and she explains in some detail, like, what he did. I think there's a New Yorker story that has some of this too from Julia Iofe. Um, Well, I don't know why, but like when this guy was coming under some heat, other people in Silicon Valley raised their hand to say, no, he's a great guy. Like, he's, he's legit. Everyone, like... The, the tip top person I noticed doing that was the current head of one of the big gambling companies that advertises all across sports. So like, I don't pretend to have this all mapped out what's happening, but it was definitely alarm bells of like, fuck, <laughs> like that's creepy. Well, it's gonna, who, I'm pretty and, confident. And who, that, like, just, and who that, just bought the Mavericks and who just bought the Mavericks? Yeah. 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 Like the dirty money in gambling is like every mob movie, right? Every, everything we know about how Vegas was founded, like, it's that dirty money and, and gambling go right together, right? It's you want the people's clean dollars, the gamblers clean dollars to co-mingle with your drug proceeds or whatever it is, right? Like that's the most interesting part of casinos as a business to very rich people, right? It's like you can put dirty money in there and come out with clean money. Um, so yeah, to me like that, those chickens have not come home to roost. I don't, it's, I'm not saying everyone in this business is dirty. I'm just saying that like, you know, that will cause problems down the down the road guaranteed and i don't want to be any part of that like i also feel a little bit like um you know we had a little thing with the ref gambling whoops you know we're probably not done with that right we're probably not done with refs and players having secret side bets and i don't know how it's going to go but i know that the setup is bad right um the guy um justin wolfers used to be a bookie and now he's like an award-winning economist but his whole thing was you should be allowed to bet on wins and losses because players won't throw games, right? But if you're betting on who gets six assists tonight, then you might get someone who'll take a take 50 grand to make sure it happens that way, right? And I don't know how we're policing that. I don't know if we're policing that, but I know that like people in the NBA are worried about that legit, right? Like some player's cousin is short of money and just needs the player to like do a little something on the court tonight. Like that could be happening every night right now. And like, I don't know if it's happening, um, but we never know, right? It's just too, too, too tricky. The setup is bad. So 
Sherrod probably has his own reasons. He's not here, but um, but we don't have ads for sports gambling on this show. Um, thanks to the nice people, Gemini 13, for going along with us on that. Um, and uh, you see, there's a Conan O'Brien thing. He said, like, uh, like oh, I haven't seen an ad for sports gambling for seven minutes. Am I alive? <laughs> like, <laughs> it is. It, it is feels like it's true. everywhere. As someone who watches uh, probably more games than most people on the planet every single uh, six nights a week, um, it, it's it's just nonstop with the uh, what you just said. You know the over under on six the assists and the rebounds, and honestly, it, it's not all it's not all foreign language to me because I understand what they're doing. It just it just I have no interest in it, so I don't really I could, couldn't really ever tell you anything. I don't. And I don't watch the shows about the bad losses and the great wins. It doesn't interest me. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's really a time suck like anything else. And and I'm for me personally, I'm busy enough just working and then trying to be a good husband. My, I don't have to be a dad much anymore. I don't see my kids a whole lot. Um, I talk to them every day. That's about it. But um, yeah, there's better things out there, people, than than doing this stuff. And I know it's good for the NBA, and I want the players to make as much money as possible, but. Um, we don't have to be, we don't have to participate in it. So I'm glad that we don't. Yeah. Cool. Watch. We'll just like get some huge deal next week and change our stance entirely. Um, okay. So, uh, moving on, um, the Thunder are good and they have more, literally more draft picks, more first round draft picks than they have, will have roster spots over the next decade. Like it's, it's a hundred percent certainty. They're going to trade future draft capital and young players for, a player, right? Or two. Like, is it time? Is now the time to go all in? Well, you're talking to the wrong guy because I, I was saying for two years, um, stupidly, as it turns out, you're going to lose SGA if you don't, you know, get better. And they you clearly yep. you know, mm-hmm. had better. Yeah, mm-hmm. they had better information than me. They they uh, they knew that Shea was, was all in, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Um, it's paying off. He's an MVP candidate. He really is, you know, along with Luca, best guard in the world. Tyrese is making a hell of a run, but doesn't play defense at all, like alarmingly bad compared to the guy we think of in James Harden being the all-offense. No, James Harden buries any any effort Tyrese ever made defensively, more like Dame Lillard maybe, which is no slouch. Dame is a pretty incredible offensive player. Uh, Shea's been good on defense, amazing on offense. Chet's been the perfect compliment, which we predicted based on how they want to play, which is get the center out of the paint so we can do all the drives that we do, led by Shea. And um, and Jalen Williams in his second year of his deal. Giddy's in his third year. We're not even sure Giddy is going to be long-term. Lou Dort's got a fair deal. They, they're financially sound and project to be that way. So by doing a deal, you, you rock the boat. However... Uh, I am not someone who thinks that experience means everything. It means something. And I don't know that they have another go-to score when teams can just focus over a seven-game series on how to build a wall with Shea. And if they do that, and he's got to make threes, well, that's not his strength. So um, I do think there are some deals in place that, that would make them much, much better in the short term. And yet, and still would have some financial flexibility uh, going forward if, if they manage it right. So um, I'd love to see them do that. 
because I don't think this year's team can win. I understand why they wouldn't, because either way, they're going to be very good, and they keep all their options open for the offseason for the next few years. I get that argument well, but I'd love to see them make some moves, make a move or two to put them in a position where they're the favorites in the West. And I wouldn't rank them as the favorites to win the Western playoff series, not just a regular season. You kind of mentioned earlier that you think Pascal Siakam would work well there. Yeah, I, I, he, I, I love him there. I don't, I have no knowledge that they've ever reached out to, to them and, or thought about it. My guess is that they haven't and, and won't, but um, yeah, I think that the, he's a better wing defender than what, than what they have with experience his paint presence, his scoring ability, his transition game. He also was a great driver. That's how they played with Nick, is much more driving. And even though he's shooting great now, over 40%, I think, in the last 15 games, um, he's he's he, he's better off not having to shoot many threes. And that's what Chet can do, just spread it out. And he knows how to play when he's not the best player, which Cachet, I think Shea's a better, more impactful player. But, but I also, I said this to Drod last week, I think, on our show, maybe – Maybe on Tuesday. I don't remember if we did one. Um, they all come these days. All roll together too fast. Uh, I'd like to see KD in in OKC. Mm-hmm. I don't think. You I don't think big that, scandal. Yeah. I don't think they can do it. I it just it would work. They have no money. They're not trading Shea, nor should they. They just don't have enough guys to make enough money. I don't think. I mean, Kevin Durant makes a lot of money, um, mm-hmm. but still, I it would be cool to see him win a championship with that team. And uh, uh, there's some other guys, too. You know, I just think they need more half-court scoring uh, when teams build a wall mm-hmm. around Shea at the rim. There's one little thing that's in the back of my head, though, which is, like, remember, they first lost James Harden because, essentially, the owners were cheap, right? Well, and that's what, that's what everyone is saying. I, I also think that James Harden wanted to go be the leading scorer and the best player in the world. I think there's a – I think that – there's an argument that, that if they paid him, he would have wanted to stay. I'm not so sure I agree with that. But nevertheless, you, I know what your point's going to be, and it's a very good one. Go ahead and make it. Well, I don't – I mean, like, okay, so Harden felt whatever Harden felt, but the owners were cheap, right? Like, right, like right. we know this, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Um, and, uh, and they still are. And, like, you know, this rebuilding, an under undiscussed part of rebuilding is that you get to take money out of the team, right? Like, all those – the fact that they don't have the contracts they can put together for Kevin Durant is because they're cheap, right? Like they're paying nobody. And they've been in this, they've been in this rebuilding mode for a very long time, yeah. right? These, this is a very small market team. These are owners who are very worried about the bottom line. And I did notice, did you notice the other night there were not a lot of people in the stands? I don't know. Like, really? Yeah. I don't know if it was like that coming out of the third quarter thing or whatever, but like, but I, I noticed that there was like a surprising number of empty seats in the lower bowl at a thunder game. And I, I, I'm speaking a little bit out of turn because it might've just been that thing where people are slow coming back from halftime. But, um, yeah, but I was, I was like, Hmm. So, uh, you know, and then this is, and not going too deep into it, but this is like all this, you know, Chesapeake energy money originally, and that has all blown up and, you know, there's been a suicide. Like, you know, it's like, it's not quite rolling in money like it used to be. And, um, so it strikes me as like, are th- this win now mode is the one where the billionaires would switch into maybe being taxpayers right? And they would take some financial risks they haven't been comfortable taking in the past. Like that might never happen. It might be that this team just won't do that. It might be that they're just going to keep, they're almost going to be like a farm team, right? It might be that, that everybody, when they get expensive, like the Spurs have been doing, right? Like as soon as a player gets expensive, 
trade from the Hawks. You know, um, it could be that that's well, what this team is. Yeah. It, so let's let's be more nuanced though. So expensive, but in their minds, not really worth the money the market would pay. Shea is. So they're paying him a ton of money because he's worth it. But you know, you know what I'm talking about. There's plenty of players that would demand X in the market, but really be worth X minus something. Like, for example, R.J. Barrett. Uh, it, it, there are people, I'm not the only one, who sees him as a toxic asset in the deal with Toronto. He is not worth the money they're paying him. He, I think he has the potential to earn it one day. Uh, and then you'll have to pay him a bunch of money after that. But that day isn't this year, and it doesn't project. He's not getting any better. He's been the same player now, more or less, for four years, except the second year when he was at his best. He's 23 now. He's, I mean, he's young. He'll be 23 all season. So, so yeah. And remember, as a fan, I'd love to see OKC move some more chips in. But you know my general philosophy of win 50 a year. Give your fans something really special to cheer about every year. So, so if you look at over the course of a decade, you have some playoff series wins, maybe no championships, but every year we're winning games more than we're losing and we're fun to watch. And I think OKC is primed through that for a, quite a long time. And some of their young guys do have high, excuse me, high level talent, but Josh Giddy doesn't look like he's going to be that kind of player. Jalen Williams, I'm a big fan of Chet Holmgren, Holmgren. I'm a big fan of. So they might already have their big three, and let's just – both those guys are in year two. So let them play that out. There's there's an argument to not do that, but we could also look two years from now, Henry, and they haven't made the Western Conference Finals, and Shea Gilgis is 28-7-28, and maybe they'll feel like a lost opportunity. That, that's the point you know a lot of people make is when you have a chance to win it all, go all in and do it. Well, and, like, and paying Shea doesn't count because it doesn't get them – out of revenue sharing and into luxury tax. You get to pay one. It would be the right? second guy, right. Like, right. yeah, so to me, like, we will see if they're a farm, like, you know, yeah. if they're going to, like, if they're going to pay Chet and Jalen and bring in Kevin Durant or Pascal Stockmover, like, then that's going to become a very expensive team. Maybe Sam already knows he has operating rules where he's not allowed to do that, right? In which case, it's not going to be quite the party that Thunder fans were hoping for, right? Like, I don't know what the answer is here, but I know that, like, if they keep a lot of these picks just because those players are going to be cheap and just keep trading away players when they get expensive, like we might be watching that. It's possible, right? It's possible that, you know, Jalen Williams won't be here a long time because they can't pay Jalen and Chet and Shay and whoever else. Right. Um, so we'll see, you know, it's, we'll see how it goes. But. It's a really, it, it's a really fair point. And I was listening to my buddies, uh, Zach Lowe with uh, Kevin Pelton uh, this morning, actually from a couple of days ago. And he was alluding to kind of what you were just saying that uh, one of the reasons why you trade for draft picks is because it's cost control. Totally. So yeah. they've got plenty of cost control built into their budget if they want it because they've got a lot of picks coming. Oh, it's the, I mean, these are the cheapest players in the history of the world, right? They literally make nothing and then, you yeah. know, for the years that you carry the picks. Right. And then you, yeah. Yeah. Um, so should the Suns trade Kevin Durant? I know you were saying that would be a little provocative, but like, do we already know it's not working in Phoenix? And then should they get something for him while they can? I, I would I would argue that by the trade deadline, um, if it hasn't coalesced with the three with Booker and Beal, and they've played almost nothing together, very few minutes. Um, yeah, I mean, you got him three more years. You got Beal for four. I understand the argument of not doing it, because you're still stuck with Beal. You're not going to be able to trade him, I don't think. Although I didn't think the Wizards could trade him, and they did. 
Um, Booker, too. I don't remember Booker's situation. He obviously is a tremendous, tremendous player, all-NBA level player. He'll be in the running for it, for sure. Um, but, yeah, I just I, – I just there, there's not enough there. The, the, unless Beal can get healthy and stay healthy, which is a huge if. I, I, I hate to see KD just on another team, just like LeBron – you know, the Lakers, for different reasons, um, are just stuck in neutral in a sense. And so um, if they can get out of $47 million, you know, 150 plus the next three years on a team that's not going to win a championship anyway because of, excuse me, Beal's health or whatever other, whatever other things going on. And you can go get, I mean, Booker's not old. And so go get some other players that uh, that aren't as expensive and fill some holes. It, Starting it if, if Beal was healthy and the team wasn't winning enough, starting a team around a healthy Beal and a, and a healthy Booker is pretty good. You should be able to do some good things with that. But you know, my feeling is is you sell high whenever you can, unless you just know that I need this guy to win a championship, and and uh, and we can win a championship. I'm not sure that's the case I, right now. The argument is it's not the case in Phoenix. Do you know how much ink was spilled on Matt Ishbia's genius and just like being all in and win now and putting together that team? And now it's like, you know, we sneezed and it's like, okay, never mind. That was a mistake. <laughs> like, it's just like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's people love the big showy move. Right. But I don't know. I'm, I, I don't think Kevin Durant, I think Kevin Durant, oh, I'm going to say this and piss off Gerard, who's not even here, but like, I don't think you put him on a bad team to make it a good team. Almost nobody's like that, right? Like LeBron maybe is like that in his prime. But um, in his prime. I think Kevin Durant in his prime. Yeah. But that's just not how stars work. You don't just take a bad team and turn them into a good team with one player, especially not that one. Um, he's not put his arm around everybody and rally him up guy, right? He's a weapon. He's, a, he's just an incredible scorer. But like I just, I don't know. To me, this is going exactly the way I expected it to go. And, uh, yeah, I, it does seem to me like inarguable that the Suns would be better off with a package of young players instead of, and maybe a little bit of salary cap flexibility instead of Durant, right? This reminds me of, you know, I remember when you were saying when the Celtics were built around Kyrie and um, he was injured and Gordon Hayward was injured, right, for this playoff series when Tatum and Brown played well. And you're like, okay, now and, and Rozier. You trade Kyrie right and now. Rozier. And yeah, Rozier. And Rozier. Yeah. Yeah. They made the Eastern Conference Finals. And I yeah. tweeted that I basically just tweeted, if I remember right, you know, so long time ago now, play a game with me. Imagine trading Rozier and Gordon Hayward. And I think I wrote, you'd have to get Hayward. He had just signed to go to Boston, leaving Utah. You don't want to trade a free agent that fast when he just, you know, may really shock the world by coming to you. But you could have probably come got him to come around to hey. We're going to move. We didn't realize these young guys would be so good together. We're going to make a move. But had they done that, they trade Kyrie, they trade Gordon Hayward. And even if you, even, as I wrote this, even just get uh, an expiring some young players so you could pay those mm-hmm. guys and not have to pay mm-hmm. any kind of tax to it. Um, yeah, Boston fans just thought I was the dumbest guy in the world for that uh, because they thought, oh, Kyrie with these guys is the key. I didn't think that was the case. And, uh, and what usually happens uh, is you hang on a little longer. The player gets beat up in some fashion, a little injured or reputation sours a little bit. And then you trade them when they're worth less, right? This is what I would say is incredibly likely to happen to Phoenix is Kevin Durant is pretty old and he's got a lot of miles. And like right now it's unthinkable you'd trade him, 
but he's going to get a little beat up, right? And then there'll be a day 18 months from now when he's not quite Kevin Durant anymore. And then I'll put him on the market, right? And now it's just sons are never going to win a championship if they do it that way. I mean, the Raptors just held on to OG Ananobi probably six months too long or more. Yeah. Uh, they he's got a lot quickly. younger than KD. Yeah. yeah. They got quickly on a toxic acid and, and RJ Barrett. Uh, yeah, KD doesn't get to the line like he used to. I haven't checked recently, but I've watched him play. He's he's not really just living on the line. It's a big part of his superpower is you mm-hmm. can't guard him and you just have to foul him. And if they take that away come postseason, it's not quite as effective uh, when you've got to be the man like he does in uh, in Phoenix. Not that Booker is not really good. He is. But it just it just isn't catching. So. If you can, you can. If you can do a fat deal somewhere, yeah, I would do it. Yeah. Okay. Who's the best team in LA? Oh, the Clippers for sure. Who should be the best mm-hmm. team in LA? That's a better question. I don't know. Mm-hmm. At least I don't know. This one we know, right? The Clippers are—they uh, just kind of figured some things out. And I had heard from one of my people inside LA that uh, Harden was staying after. Uh, a practice working with Zubach on um, his pick and roll game, the timing of it. I just, I got so excited hearing that. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't That's realize that Coach Geek catnip right there. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Just, it really makes a difference. Uh, timing matters and getting a feel for things matter. Communication, right? So imagine being uh, a Zubach and having James Harden say, hey, let's stay after and do some stuff together. That's That's empowering, right? That's, that's not that's not the same thing as playing with joy, but it does bring a lot of joy to know that, man, James Harden spent some extra time with me today. I matter. I'm seen. He he's a good player. I've always said that, right? And mm-hmm. uh, I heard great things about Ty Lue and James Harden. The whole all of them, the way they're working together and talking to each other, and it's not just Ty Lue dictating. It's the group figuring stuff out together. And oh, by the way, Kawhi Leonard's back to being Kawhi Leonard, capital K. He's amazing, amazing. All NBA MVP well, did level. Did you lowercase him for a while? It was a lowercase situation. Well, I mean, pretty easy when he's not playing, right? Yeah, but he's yeah. what has he played? Twenty nine games now. Um, mm-hmm. He's when I've watched him play, I just laugh. I, I'm not even kidding. I soak in a lot of basketball in this office, and I don't typically laugh. Jokic makes me. I, Jokic makes me laugh. Giannis makes me laugh sometimes. Kawhi really makes me laugh. Uh, and I've got to help guys try to figure out how to guard those motherfuckers. It's fucking hard. And Kawhi shoots at line drive and it doesn't matter. And you know what he's going to do. It doesn't matter. That's the special thing about these guys is you know exactly what he's going to. You, you've seen, I'm sure, on social media, some of the stories of Larry Bird telling the guy exactly what he's going to do mm-hmm. and then doing it. Well, Kawhi doesn't do that, but you still know it doesn't matter. So... And James Harden is such a masterful player when he's when he's feeling it. And yeah, that's if I'm if I'm the Wolves, of course, but the Nuggets obviously being the, probably the better team. Like I, that is not an that is not a team that's going to go down easily the way the Clippers are playing right now. But you have told us many times you love the Lakers roster. Love the roster. Yeah, yeah. I just think so... maybe Darvin Ham will be a good coach one day. That just that just that those days aren't happening. They're not defending. They don't really seem to have a, a, a consistent plan. Austin Reeves has taken a big step backwards, last I looked anyway. I don't pay attention much to non-relevant teams, and 
they've kind of fallen out of relevance, which is so sad. Uh, last I looked, Austin was really, really struggling. And he was so good last year. And uh, to me, it starts with management and coaching. Um, LeBron and AD have been tremendous. Tremendous, the two of them. And D'Angelo Russell's been very, very good, if not almost elite in offense. And yet, they're stuck with where they are. Uh, I, I, th- I think I told the story with Gerard. I was on Christmas Day. I was driving my mother-in-law home to her to her community, and um, on the way back, I put on the end of the Lakers game. And I think I, I, I've, I've told the story once. I won't do it again. But let's just say the Lakers announcers did not seem to have a lot of spirit about how they could come up with some stops, and that mm-hmm. that was to me kind of sad because they should be a good defensive team. Mm-hmm. Who's the best player in basketball? I mean, I've been saying Jokic for three years now, including last year when Embiid won the MVP. I still think probably uh, if you if you were able to, to force the players to play their very best for a two-week stretch and then evaluate it, I still think Jokic would win. But the guy who's playing the best and absolutely deserving of the MVP is Joel Embiid. Yeah, he's just, he's just reached a really special level. And uh, I don't know... I don't know what you what you do. I, I've tried. I've, I've you know I, I help players who try to guard that guy, and um, there's really nothing you can force him to and feel like okay, this is a good plan. And everything I do, agents will will tell you wh- wh- why am I having to meet with Coach Thorpe? Agents will say he's going to help give you a plan every single game. Um, I it's not easy to plan for Joel and think that you can be successful. Having a plan is easy. A plan that you think ends up with a success. It's hard with Joel Embiid, if not impossible. I just don't know what he can't do. And and he's got the disposition to do it. He gets what he wants. He's really he's really reached his – this is the best he can be. And it's uh, so it's one of the best. If of you put time. him in a time machine against Kareem, how's that go? Ugh. I mean, Kareem's amazing. And, and uh, in, 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 uh, in his skyhook is his skyhook. And I only saw Kareem – you know, in the eighties, you know, when I was a teenager and a, and a college kid. And so he, he, he was playing in the sixties, you know, he's winning national champion in the sixties. But, um, so I only saw a video of him when he was in his prime, but Embiid's skill game out to three and his size and his scoring package, like, you know, Kareem's had a better career. No one's going to argue that obviously, but Embiid's the, the better player. He's just there's nothing you can do with him. He would he's have some so much bigger against Kareem. And not, yeah, he's so much bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he can shoot threes. Like, yeah, it's he shoot everything. They're better. He can dribble the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, dribble, dribble, dribbling's big. <laughs> All right. Um, in my absence, you and Gerard have a tradition of naming now your top five teams. Um. I'm ready. I'm ready to participate in your okay, little scheme. So we always do my, me, you, so me, then him. So you'll go after me and okay. I'll, we start with five. Okay. 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 Um, my number five team this week, they'd be higher if they could somehow beat the Pacers who just beat the, beat the fuck out of them every time. I'm going to go with Milwaukee at five. Okay. I have the nuggets at five. Um, I, have I don't the think they're in four. the top. Uh, okay, go ahead. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, Denver is, the Nuggets Denver is are, deserving of... Uh, they're good. Huh? They're 10-2 and two in their last 12. I know they just got beat up by the Thunder, but like, 
Twice. So what? Nobody Twice. Loses. Yeah. Yeah. But they Which don't suck. And no, 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 no. They're, they're going to be right there. I think Jokic is, is uh, coasting a little bit because he knows what's coming, uh, which is fine. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Um, so that's my number four. Who's your, who do you have a four? Minnesota? I have the Thunder number four because they just beat the Nuggets uh-huh. <laughs> twice. That's why I have yeah. Thunder at number three. I have there the Thunder at three. Okay. I couldn't ostensibly pick pick Denver ahead of them when they OKC just beat them twice in the last couple of weeks. So, yeah, yeah. I've got the Thunder at three. This is not a, proje- a projection of playoff. This is just how things are going and how we project maybe going to next week. I think OKC is deserving of that. Okay, I Here's have the three. Clippers number three. I have the Clippers um, for the reasons yeah. we just discussed. Yeah, they're my they're yeah. my thirteen. Yeah, I really, if I did a, I, I normally do ties, but I felt like I don't want to. I don't want to be weak this week with with you being here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I would definitely jump in for that for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I yeah the Clippers. You know how I feel about them, but no, I got and then the top two has got to be Boston and Philly, right? Yeah. Wait, yeah, so I'm confused. Too. Why? Yeah, I have Philly number two and Boston number one. Really? Like, I secretly, just, I w- like Philly's not going to win the championship. I, I, I just don't think that they are. Um, somebody is though. Uh, somebody you, is. You don't. Uh, so, you you don't think why? You don't think Philly can win? Why? Because they just don't have. You know, Tyrese is too young as a second best player. Um, I think that Embiid's kind of everything and he goes so hard all regular season. It reminds me a little bit of Steve Nash with the Suns when it's like when you're just, yeah. just, he's just putting so many hard minutes into getting there that it just, and his body's been such a freak show through the year. It just seems like, what are the odds Embiid picture Embiid in the NBA finals? Like don't you already know he's limping. I can already picture it, right? He's definitely limping. Like he's Willis Reed coming out of the tunnel already. I mean, he right. If you watch him play, he's he's got plenty of games where he he does limp for a period of time, and everyone's so damn scared all the time. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if if Daryl's got a deal coming though, where he's got just a little more depth, a little more help. But mm-hmm. um, you know, the best player in the league has been Giannis and and LeBron and AD and uh, Jokic. And they've won championships. And so I wouldn't favor Philly for the reasons you're saying. And Boston's incredible and the best team, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, but um, I, I, I do think there is a chance Philly wins a championship. I, I'm not saying they can't. I understand where your point is very well. Yeah, for sure. I, I just like to take a rational position based on feeling. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 